0: Hello, welcome to Podcasting's Praxis. I'm David,
1: and this week I am here with James. Hello. Jamie. Alright. And Seb. Hi hey there. And we are going to talk about wonderful fun subject of electoralism and what the left
0: deals with and has dealt with. Um, I think we want to really start off with how did we get here? Well,
2: it all started with that fucking gorilla. <laughs> no, no. First, the Earth cooled. <laughs> We've got to go that far mm. back, everyone. All right, yeah. Okay, so um, something impacted the Earth, and a bunch of matter flew off into space and became the moon. And this is mm-hmm. incredibly important, because a lot of what we're going to be talking about much
3: later is about a bunch of lunatics. Uh-huh. <laughs> And also, coincidentally, a bunch of dinosaurs. Mm, yeah, not wrong. Um, so, yeah, skip forward a million years, or yeah, twenty thousand yeah, of billion. them, and uh, yeah. Um, well, we the uh, well, we had the uh, Labour Party. Well, we had democracy first. Yep, <laughs> that came first. And arguable
1: well
3: yeah like democracy is always a a matter of degrees but could we even claim to be in a democracy unless you get like universal enfranchisement no then surely it's just similar to you know like a slightly bigger group of aristocrats or otherwise privileged groups uh having a say over an underclass so you couldn't even Pretend to be a democracy until universal suffrage.
0: Let's 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 make up a name for this kind of sham type of democracy. Let's go with um, liberal democracy.
2: Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure we're a liberal democracy these days. I think we're an oligarchy. We're just an oligarchy with some really good propaganda. Mm.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, pseudo liberal democracy. Well, yeah. I mean. Obviously, there's huge institutional barriers to actually having any kind of uh, institutional impact um, at the mass scale. Which, yeah, I guess, you know, sort of lots of accusations about the Democratic Party always being like controlled opposition to the general, um, you know, sort of needs of the American state at least. Um, and I guess in that manner, we're doing better than that still in the U.K., like it, it's it's very oligarchical in terms of who gets into power, but well, you know, they're talking about the last five years. Labour was a legitimate threat to that, or well, for all of it, um, when Corbyn got in, um, it just buried yeah. in terms of real realistic uh, possibility.
0: Well, let's let's frame this in where we are right now. So, right now we're in the aftermath of that leaked Labour report. Mm. We're in the aftermath of. Bernie dropping out as a candidate. We're in the aftermath of Labour losing the 2019 election. We're in the aftermath of fucking the 2017 election and almost winning it, but it turns out we get rat fucked out of that by ourselves. Um, and then, you know, all the way back to 2015, where, well, 2016, Bernie's nomination failed then as well. And then 2015, Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party and things started to look good.
3: Well, I mean, like things didn't really start looking good um in UK Labour until 2017. You know, those were two awful years. <clears throat> well, well, by looking good, I mean, hope was possible. Yeah, yeah, true.
0: If I think back to 2015, like I remember the the election in 2015 and the run- up to that being a complete fucking shit show like it, it was pointless it, it was the entire time it was all like I remember any any hints towards labor being a possible runner like oh, they're catching up that type of shit just being it felt fucking manufactured then like it just d- didn't feel as if it was real,
1: yeah, or
0: even if
3: it mattered to some degree as well. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. Pretty much the entire expectation was just gonna be, oh well. There's the be. They they will end up with the coalition again, won't we? And Mm. that never broke through in any part of it. You know, sort of the the um one to one interviews that the all the leaders had and stuff like that. There was yeah no no moments no pretend upsets no upsurges. Uh, until the actual result came through. And then it was like, oh, we really did hate Nick that much. Mm.
2: So for the benefit of my like broken brain that has just atrophied all perception of time during this quarantine. Um, can I just confirm I've got this my sequence of events right in my head? Leading mm. up into 2015, it was David Cameron and Nick Clegg in a um, joint kind of government, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, yeah. correct. And then everyone was expecting the Lib Dems to come back in, including David Cameron, which is incredibly Mm -hmm. important. That didn't happen. Ed Miliband lost and lost hard. Nick Clegg lost and got completely and utterly owned from the face of the earth. Um, And then as a consequence of this, David Cameron had promised he would do a Brexit referendum, thinking that the the Lib Dems would give him an excuse to not do it because he'd be able to go, oh, I, I would do it, but the Lib Dems will break the coalition if I do Then he was forced into doing it, thought everything would be fine because he's a big moron. Everything wasn't fine. And in the period leading up to that, uh, Ed Miliband got replaced by Jeremy Corbyn due to the most hysterically funny sequence of events I think I've ever heard of in modern politics, starting with uh, (laughs) MP from Falkirk swinging punches in a bar.
3: Yeah, I do love that being the little butterfly effect, you know, that that little um, underplot of... um, Well, democratising the Labour Party essentially is so important. Yeah. Um, his whole um, sort of. Oh, I can't remember what happened. He had to resign his seat and then they had the, yeah. the by election, didn't they? And then, yeah, yeah, there was
0: some sudden entryism in um, that. Uh, and it all got a bit weird, or at least it was alleged entryism. I can't even really remember the fucking minutiae I,
2: of it. I, but... I actually. I know this story just because, like, I'm in central Scotland, and so I'm a little bit up on Falkirk politics. And so basically what happened was the guy, he went down swinging in one of the House of Commons bars, shouting there being been too many fucking Tories in the room. Legend. <laughs> um, for this, he had to resign his seat. And then we held a by-election... Um, but first they had to do an internal selection, and during that internal selection, apparently the local unions in Falkirk did a whole bunch of like entryism, essentially, and all sorts of stuff to try and uh, big up their favourite candidate, who was a little bit left. A little bit. Not much, I wouldn't say. The consequence to this is that everyone on the Labour right pitched a shit fit, and it went to the NEC, and the NEC agreed they needed to have a complete change in the rules and selections, including leadership selections, as it turned out. And this is what gave Ed Miliband the, the impetus to kind of push things towards one member, one vote, because all the brain-dead rightward idiots in the Labour Party thought, well, the, the membership is all solidly centre-right, so they'll vote against all the union bullshit if we give them, you know, an overriding vote. Yeah, ha 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 ha
3: ha. I mean, to be fair, though, at that particular moment in history, we've got to remember that sort of the idea of austerity was hated but still, you know, there was no real coherent alternative popular uh, resistance to it. Obviously, there were many campaigns trying to fight against it, but no one had managed to, you know, politically unify enough to smash it in the UK. And so there was just the, you know, the the dominance of um, right wing liberalism throughout the UK and not enough coherent resistance to actually suggest that there was very much a chance of labor and their membership not actually being particularly right-wing you know um obviously they caught massively caught out by corbyn's candidature but that was it was not a good time for politics if you were on the left then it it was yeah. not terribly hopeful um but then of course that's what led to corbyn and you know sort of He went into that campaign. God knows what he was thinking or expecting, apart from that it was his turn. And suddenly, you know, they built momentum off the back of it, just literally him not being crap.
4: I mean, 2015 feels like so long ago. You might as well be talking about the fucking dissolution of the monasteries for all I remember this. <laughs> it's, it's been about six decades since 2015, hasn't it, surely?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why I had to ask about the timetable, because I genuinely wasn't sure whether I was dreaming it or not, that it had been a what, coalition government.
4: What year was it Cameron fucked the dead pig? <laughs> uh,
0: that was... Allegedly. ...2016. 2016. Now that was when it it, came out. He he
3: allegedly did it during university, wasn't it?
0: No, I I don't. I don't know. Do we need to say allegedly because um, because he definitely did it before, and he's well, he's never denied it. He's been it's been said to him that he did, and then he's never denied it. Really? Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, all right. we'll we'll leave that up to editing then. (laughs) Yeah, because
4: if he if he denies it, he gets thrown out of the Bulldog Club or whatever club he was getting into by (laughs) fucking the pig.
0: It's not so much that, it's that if he denies it, then it has to go through a court where he has to prove that he didn't fuck a pig.
4: Probably. One way or another, the one thing we can be absolutely certain on is that David Cameron fucked a pig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I'm... And
2: then a whole country... Mm-hmm. I, I'm convinced he did it just because Ian Hislop from Have I Got News For You is all, oh it's so childish and it's like, if this was any other kind of person, he would be all over finding it intensely amusing, but because it happened at a club that he was part of the board that organised <laughs> all their kind of orgies uh, so, so I'm pretty convinced Allegedly I'm allegedly convinced it allegedly happened
0: <laughs> In my opinion In your opinion it happened, is what you're saying Yes Um. But
2: you but can yes. you can actually div- you divide politics into before pig and after pig at this point.
4: Yeah. Mm. Since you brought up Ian Hislop, I will just say, like, I could quite easily believe. <laughs> I do
2: think that part of the reason Angus Deaton got kicked off of How I Got News For You is he just fucked, like, he he just had the temerity to just fuck a sex worker. Like that was that was all he did. He did a bit of coke and fucked a sex worker. Compared to all the other old lovies and deviants on the show, who are like, well, do you know, if it's not,
0: a- <laughs> <laughs> there's my libel
4: for the episode. <laughs>
0: oh, uh, get it out early.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much it was. Well, it was. It was really. It was because um, the papers finally had like ammunition to to go after them and embarrass them. Really, wasn't it? You know, they'd spent like years at that point going, oh yeah, the paper's the shit. Oh, look at all this stuff in the papers, isn't it shit? And the paper's just constantly like scrambling for any kind of foothold to use again. Like I can remember the papers like running a fucking uh, a story about Paul Merton going to a cash point. holy
2: shit that is a long do you know right we basically turned into remember when the podcast this quarantine is getting to us
4: (laughs) yeah but do you know what i mean and so now they finally had actual dirt on someone on that show that they could like strike back with and the producers were just like well this won't do do you know what i mean like we can't actually take a stand against like the papers so he has to go to reduce the friction
3: Uh, ah so maybe that's the observable moment of collapse the same. of rigor in the bbc to it's us. the same it's the <laughs> same reason the right why like you know
1: slant.
4: yeah uh frankie boyle had to go from mock the week because he was the one part of mock the week that occasionally like had some actual like teeth mm. yeah and that's not the purpose of mock the week do you know what i mean like the purpose <laughs> of mock the week is for everyone to sit around and go yeah politicians aren't they all as bad as each other no oh, it's a shame there's nothing can ever be done to improve things or change things oh. see
0: that's that's the thing though like At at the time, that that was actually, that was actually, comedians could do that and it was actual, you know, you could actually argue it was satire because yet, for the most part, they
3: fucking were all the Mm. same. Definitely the zeitgeist at the moment. I mean, it's
4: definitely, it's definitely the golden age that like fucking, do you know what I mean? Just little pricks like Chris Addison desperately want to go back to. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they'd, they'd give their, their right nut to return to a time when they could, like, stand up and go, no, politicians aren't they all as bad as each other and there's nothing that can be done. It's just the way mm. things are. And, you know I mean, what I mean? Graham even tried that. I mean, the less said about that cunt, the better, to be honest. Like, who? What?
0: Uh, sorry, Sunny Miku.
4: All
2: right, no, got you, got you. <laughs> no, but actually, when you're talking about this, it is, there is a parallel here. There is something in this because. Like you said, with Frankie Boyle, he left Mock the Week, and officially he said it's because he kept doing content that just didn't make the edits, and he was essentially no-platformed. Like, his more critical jokes were no-platformed out, and he's like, we're just doing the same shit every week, like you're saying. There's also a rumour that he had some arguments with some of his fellow, um, you know, talent on the show. You go back to... Talent I mean, is a
4: strong word.
2: Uh, well, <laughs> you, could you hear the inverted commas I put around that? Because Jesus... I could, yeah. If you go back to Have I Got News For You, which I think it's fair to say was the mock for week of its time in its heyday, mm. um, Angus Deaton got kicked out because apparently Paul Morton really fucking hated him.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: and they, they had these talent kind of arguments. And so it's like, there's something here about institutional self-censoring, essentially, and this is even before David Cameron changes the Board of Governors of the BBC to be more conservative. So... I think that there's definitely something here about someone comes along and potentially rocks the boat, if you will, to try and put forward a message which is uncomfortable to other participants on the platform, and then they essentially censor them, or when censoring isn't sufficient, they use whatever leverage they can to like count them out, essentially. And mm. as that's happened in the media, it, that kind of seems to me to be a little bit of what's happened with you know both Bernie and Corbyn.
4: Can I just say as well, I think you're probably going to get a Christmas card from Andy Parsons for describing him as talent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find I won't get a Christmas card from Andy Parsons, right? Uh, instead, I'll get a long handwritten letter talking about how there's a war on Christmas. and <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs>
4: What is it? What is it with incredibly mediocre panel show bald comedians in this country? Because there's him and there's Lee Fucking Hurst.
0: Which one is he? Is that the right wing guy that they get on because of um, ideological requirement?
4: Who Lee Hurst? Mm. He used to be on that fucking the sports panel show. I can't remember what it's called, but you know the the sports one that had like fucking Gary Lineker on fucking crisps. Oh, uh, Lee their own. No, no, no. Uh, they think it's oh, all this over. Is
0: something else. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Lee Hurst was one of the regulars on that. Um, and then he went to do, I think he got his own show on ITV that lasted one week. <laughs> Ooh. Um, it was like a live Saturday night extravaganza thing. And it fucking sank without a trace. And he's better known nowadays for doing like fucking absolute shit tier right wing goff on Twitter. And like, you know, tweets about how you would definitely use torture if a terrorist had nailed your baby to a bomb. And you needed to torture the guy to find out where like the, the fucking back end of a hammer was so that you could pull the nails out in time.
0: Ah, right, okay. So can kind a of Liam Neeson wank fantasy, but with laughs.
4: Yeah, well, with laughs is, is well, doing laugh a lot tracks. of heavy lifting in that sentence, I think. like, but...
0: mm, Yeah. No, I thought you were talking, the person I thought you were talking about was Jeff Norcott. Um, he's not bald, although he does have enough forehead to probably qualify as bald, so...
4: I've not heard of him, thankfully.
0: Yeah, you, you, you wouldn't like him, mate.
3: I mean, probably not i'm so desperately waiting for something to in this conversation to come back to electoralism.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no no this is this is fucking this is like x weeks into quarantine now this is going to be a four-hour episode and, and only about 10 minutes of it is going to be on topic
0: You <laughs> should yeah. note for the listener that um we've decided to completely forgo show notes on this one so welcome to wild conjecture
4: i mean that's that's standard operating practice Bucket for me. we're
0: doing it live um the podcast
2: (laughs) this is i'll i'll own this one i'm the one who put this together and said we shouldn't do show notes for it and the reason i did it is because like if you sit down and try and write what the fuck has happened you end up producing like a thesis or a book or something off the back of this because fucking hell like Mm. there's so much i think we've just demonstrated how much there is that's happened and how interconnected it is to an extent because we're talking we started talking about you know, OK, we start talking about the creation of the universe, but skipping that over, we started talking about like how Corbyn kind of got in and we, like what happened in electoralism that led to Corbyn coming in. And we've now done a detour through Have I Got News For You <laughs> and Mock The Week that actually does kind of show a reflected glare of institutional liberal bias and how it self-censors.
3: It's nuts. Yeah, I mean, at all levels, um, sort of the bourgeois parliamentary politics is only a reflection of the the actual class forces at play so when we're talking about really you know kind quite, quite cultural institutions like um the BBC and their political and and cultural output then it's it's not surprising particularly that that then is holding a very similar tone to um what appears in the political sphere unless you mm. get a real radical Um, you know, just appearing out of nowhere, total bolt out of the blue type situations like, um, Corbyn's, well, yeah, Corbyn. Well, I mean, obviously he'd still been part of Labour, um, winning best beard in Parliament for multiple years, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was like his claim to fame. Um, (laughs) and yet, uh he had enough of the the political outrider status and had enough of the you know sort of the old class analysis with the new um you know sort of liberal internationalism as in you know i guess somewhat trending towards pro-eu sentiment but also like genuine like international internationalism where it is you know migrant solidarity cnd anti-nuclear kind of uh you know, people shouldn't be dying, no matter where in the world they are. Kind of situations, and then that—that that obviously was just significant enough all by itself to build the backing and following, um, both inside and outside the membership. Because I don't know how much the membership grew just during that campaign, but obviously there was the the huge registered supporter amount, and that was people that never bothered being Labour, but still. Willing to, you know, toss however many pounds it was in the end to uh, having a stab at uh, getting someone that they actually really liked.
4: You mentioned the the beard of the air thing there, but I think he's surely his real claim to fame in Parliament would be inviting the IRA in for a meeting every day, like from like 1980 through to 1996 or so. Because you know that that's like pretty much what they said in the papers, wasn't it? He'd done that completely <laughs> every every single day, and then he was he was off like what was it, bicycle round East East Germany working for the starsy mm. surely you'd be more famous for those things than just for having a nice beard
3: well I mean, yeah i mean i'm being flippant there to, obviously um the the actual meaningful solidarity and uh you know sort of building uh well, i don't know how best to describe it but attempting you know outreach to various warring factions is obviously the, the more significant work that he's actually done but yeah. it didn't that, give that him and any the kind, gunpowder kind of plot. Um, celebrity status. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God bless her media. Do you know, if you
2: said if you'd said the gunpowder plot about um McDonald, then that would be like that is McDonald has I- extreme gunpowder plot energy going on about him at times. Corbyn, on the other hand, I mean, his his claim to fame, if I was to say, here's one thing that Jeremy Corbyn's done, which, you know, he should be lauded for, it's the fact he was involved in getting the Good Friday Agreement together. You know, the fact that he had been doing this outreach for a long time meant he was able to put people in a room together that otherwise weren't going to get in there. But somehow, culturally, the UK has apparently decided in its press and now in public consciousness that the Good Friday Agreement was a bad thing and that actually we should go back to the Troubles. And so Jeremy Corbyn becomes a terrorist sympathiser.
0: Mm. You've got to wonder why they didn't try and hammer that harder on McDonald rather than Corbyn, because yeah, he's more believable like that.
4: Because McDonald plays up to it. Yeah, McDonnell already looks scary to the public. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like he's thrown the the little red book at fucking Coke Boy. <laughs> I for, genuinely forgot the name of that former Chancellor. Osborne. Yeah. um, Mr. Marching Powder. So, like, you don't need you don't need to scare McDonald, but Jeremy Corbyn's just like a completely sort of you know what I mean, like just nice man. He's just a nice man, and he he completely non threatening in any way. So, you know, you need to tell people that he was single handedly like responsible for the troubles.
2: See, I think I have a. You say
4: here. you say people have um, you know have decided the Good Friday Agreement is bad retrospectively. That's because the troubles. Stopped. Do you know what I mean? They'll 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 sharp change their tunes once Manchester starts getting blown up every other weekend again, and it you know what I mean. And it it's the a restart to the troubles would be like catastrophic for the British mainland because our entire Orwellian security apparatus. I'm, like, 100% confident it'll fall over entirely once it has to deal with terrorism done by white people.
3: But it's not terrorism if it's done by white people. Well, they, it would just adapt the same old strategies of arresting Irish people in the vicinity.
4: I mean, probably, but... Mm. But, yeah, I mean, everything everything Blair brought in and the coalition, like, left alone, you know, we're perfectly happy with preventing everything. It's just all all geared, to, uh, geared around the idea that, like, all terrorism... Is done by Muslims.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's never ever can shaken I, off that route. Can I just just
0: read a wee little bit? There was an interview um, in the run up to the election. Um, Which one? On. That's what I'm just checking. Um, I think it was 2019. Yeah, it was the 2019 election. Um, and it was somebody for the the FT um, interviewed McDonald, and they'd went away into a cafe and he was doing the interview, and it's just this little so was fucking great. By now we're eating the pudding, a small sickly sweet brown ball. I throw him the question that has made other politicians stumble. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? My mind flickers back to McDonald's study, where there is still a tribute to IRA terrorists. (laughs) He looks me in the eye. I'm not going to admit to it because I could still be arrested. There's a pause. I presume you're joking, I reply uncertainly. He leans forward and produces a stony death stare before relaxing his face. Of course I am. (laughs) (laughs)
3: he has fun with it Oh. oh yeah yeah he he played up to it a lot um and that is definitely part of his appeal um yeah but then he he also had like a certainly in the period after 2017 like i'm not exactly sure what the the overall kind of economic approach they had to that was because you know he he basically started saying nice things about the CBI and that should make every left winger (laughs) a bit nervous. (laughs) Um,
0: I don't know if we're ever going to find out what the impetus for that was. I don't know if this was a, a kind of wobble towards sensibilism or something like that, or it might well have been off the back of them actually knowing that the Labour right were fucking about with them because some of those claims in the Labour report, like the election... Um, fucking the campaign ads thing on Facebook targeted directly to the leader's office. Um, like that was
3: known back then.
4: I have a question as the the resident pod dipshit. What's the CBI? Mm.
3: Oh, um, it's uh, well, it's basically just the the organisation of um British business. Um, I can't remember exactly what it stands for. Uh, give me a second. Oh yeah, the Confederation of British Industry.
4: Oh, that sounds exciting.
3: So it's it's British um CEOs British based companies that um you know want things to be run in the interests of the bourgeoisie of the capitalist class mm. and so you know ideally for them policies that help the workers are not good things and you you really shouldn't be attracting their favor in the same way probably the best bit of politics that got done over the whole of Corbynism was when the bank sort of issued a statement saying well, they've got concerns about a Corbyn, Corbyn leadership. And the response w- was Corbyn come out and said, yeah, you should be afraid. <laughs> you know, they really kind of needed to take a similar attitude to the CBI. But instead, they ended up in a situation where they felt it was OK to be friendlier, to give more reconciliatory talks to them. And I mean, part of that was because the CBI itself softened its opposition to them. Though it might well have been a you know, quid pro quo type thing. But then linking that back to electoralism, that's kind of a bad thing. You know, if you're getting integrated into a right wing um government uh, structure like the British state currently is, then you're actually going a bit astray anyway.
2: Like I wouldn't read it like that, Seb. I kinda I have a bit of a Gramscian take on this. Um, which is that there's these two kind of elements that you engage in when you're attempting to seize power. There's the war maneuver, which is actual concrete um, power seizing steps, which uh, is its most extreme form you can read it as, you know, marching the armies on Westminster. But you can, you know, depending on your on your reading of Gramsci, you can scale it back and have it to be kind of political actions that take one closer to acquiring political power. But then there's the that, that's for war maneuver, but then there's the war position, which is how you politically position yourself in such a way as to ready yourself for the war maneuver, because you can't you can't execute a maneuver until you're in the right position. And so like McDonald turning around and saying nice things about the CBI, I kind of read that as him looking at the relative position of the Tories, where they were really, they were doing shit that was scaring the CBI quite a bit. And that's Mm. him kind of positioning himself to go, well, look, they might be scaring you, but actually we're not quite as bad as you think we are. And to kind of ease himself into position to best be able to execute something. And like, there's there's something to this because I I was kind of, I was going to talk about it earlier, but I think I have this, this, fear slash theory about Corbyn and about Sanders, which is that the only reason they were able to get into the position they got into is because they were nice and conciliatory, and because they were nice old men who were known for reaching out to people, and they weren't seen as being, you know, McDonald's, essentially. Um, And I have a, I have a wonder if part of the reason they were able to get as far as they were was precisely because... On some level, people estimated saying, "Now nah, they won't do, they won't do a Stalinist purge or anything like that." And I wonder what you guys think about that.
4: I, I have, well, I have a question. What's Gramsci?
2: Aye, okay. Uh, Antonio Gramsci is um, was sorry, an Italian Marxist theorist um, who died in prison, having been locked up by the fascists. And he wrote like an extension of Marxism to talk about how there's this kind of cultural component. You can't just talk about the material conditions. You also have to be aware that there is a culture and it is actively fought over and policed. And the media essentially creates this kind of backdrop, which directly impacts on the ability of material conditions to emerge, whereby the left can take power. And so you have to actually you have to engage on both levels. Um, it's not enough to just talk about material circumstances. You have to look at how those circumstances are being interpreted and portrayed, and that kind of thing.
4: Right, but that's not the same thing when, like, right wing dickheads scream about cultural Marxism. They're not talking about that, though, are they? Uh, no, no. They're just being like mainly
2: they're talking in in, in code phrases about like Jews, bluntly. Like the Nazis... cultural
0: Marxism just means Judeo Bolshevism. That's that's pretty much exactly the analog for it
4: yeah that I was literally about to say that's what the Nazis uh, described it as and nowadays it's like you know they put a girl into this video game, and that's cultural marxism
0: yeah
2: mm. <laughs> yeah, but for real, what do you guys actually think about this? Do you think it's do you think either of them would have got as far as they did if they had been seen as like tougher figures if they were actually inclined to do the you know salt the earth kind of approach to politicking
0: if you had asked me this question. A couple of weeks ago before that Labour report came out. I would have probably said, um, they should have been I mean they should have been tougher anyway, like, you know, with regards to the Labour report internally. But externally, I think Yeah, two weeks ago, yeah, they should have been tougher, they should have hit harder, they should have been more vocal. Um, Corbin could have said some bad words occasionally, um, rather than just giving it the, the even tempered cadence that he usually does to like regardless of the situation. Um now, off the back of that, though, and finding out how close we were to winning twenty seventeen, um, and what fucked us out of it, um, no, I, I don't think they really needed to be. I think they they would have actually clinched a a convincing win in twenty seventeen without that.
4: I think it's it's impossible to say, but with you know even with the benefit of hindsight, but I mean at this point, it would be fun to be able to sort of see the the parallel universe where instead of Corbin. 20 fitters leader in 2015 we get mcdonald and he just like mm. spends the entire time like slapping the shit out of like the people opposite him and the papers just you know because the thing is like people go like mcdonald's got too much baggage but like corbin didn't have any baggage and they just invented it out of whole cloth anyway so you know you, you could have had a guy who like literally served time for like murder and landlords or something in charge of the party. And the, it, you know, the, 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 press he would have gotten would have probably been less extreme than the press Corman got. So. They might've
0: even normalized murder and landlords.
4: Yeah. Which would be a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean,
3: um, back to your question though, James, like I, I forget exactly when, but it was quite early on. And, you know, there was this retired general who basically gave that interview Saying, mm. well, potentially oh, you yeah. might coup him if he gets in power. You know, that there, there was not a well, because that even happened, I suppose, does show that there was a definite real fear and suspicion about the consequences of a Corbyn government. Um, I think
4: it's inaccurate to describe that guy as a retired general because I think he was fired for fucking dogs. <laughs> for fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, hang on. Record scratch here.
2: Jamie, is that just like from the Chaos Nexus or is there a basis in
0: reality for that one? Oh. I mean, he did say that he thinks. I mean, based on what, you know, who knows?
4: Just seems probable. Okay, Chaos Nexus. Got you. Okay. Parody, parody,
2: allegedly. Oh.
4: Sorry, so where were we?
3: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, how threatening Corbyn was. And yeah, like it, it was so unexpected because if if the left had had any sort of planning input into how Corbyn's election in the first two years had actually gone, we wouldn't have done it like that. <laughs> so mm. I mean it yeah, it was just it was flu and Everyone's reaction was suddenly like, Christ, what are we going to do with this now that it's appeared? And so that was quite a lot of optimism from the left. Not all parts of it they took until 2017 to come around, but a lot of people willing to pitch in and really kind of suddenly seeing the possibility for a change and improvement. And that was equally mirrored by the right, which was suddenly really uncertain because they had made a, a massive unforced, error on their part and they didn't know at that time quite how deep it was going to go i mean it it took the like continued um like local election losses for them to maybe start really um being able to say that okay some of the old techniques for controlling left-wing opposition do still work and um then, yeah, they got on with, well, the the right wing of Labour got on with their wrecking and the right wing press started uh, ramping up the usual attacks, perhaps with more confidence. But yeah, it, it wasn't, nobody ever went after Corbyn with kid gloves, because there was always an assumption that, well, he wouldn't go all the way. They didn't know for a period of time. And then sort of, well, then they got themselves hepped up at uh, a certain level that they just continued the assaults all the time so yeah i don't know if that was you know sort of um them driving themselves into a kind of you know psychosis and fear after a certain point but it was definitely kind of real at the start
2: well i have to say you guys have convinced me because i have been thinking for a long time about this whole Will Powell let someone who is very vocally kind of against it get closer versus did they only get as far as they did because they seemed nice and kind of feeble, um, to, to put it a little bit harshly. But uh, you've kind of convinced me that that doesn't really matter because what we've seen recently with the, the Labour campaign, particularly the 2017 Labour campaign and the wrecking going on there, mm-hmm. and then with Bernie's campaign, which has revealed similar things going on inside his campaign, maybe that's an irrelevant question maybe the the praxis here is to focus on the immediate like identifiable issues rather than worry about the thing that you know that you can't test with counterfactuals
3: well yeah i think getting too obsessed about what ifs is not helpful at this particular time i mean like even even with the um the revelations well some of the revelations of the labor report i mean like we knew about um there being a uh, specific targeting of the leadership office by the ads and not the mm-hmm. rest of the country that came out um 2018 something like that mm-hmm. so that's that's not was, new, no that but... was that was 2017 that came out that came out not long after
1: oh okay
3: all oh, right well yes yeah, so anyway i mean it that's that's not a brand new revelation but um yeah. but yeah so like even even playing the counterfactuals of um how else it could have gone then it's yeah it it's not particularly an a useful use of political acumen even if it does make you feel a bit better um it's 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 just genuinely more useful if a bit harder to think about the stuff that went right and the stuff that like objectively went wrong rather than pondering what ifs
2: so looking at things that objectively went wrong then here's the million dollar question is the biggest opposition to the left taking power does it actually lie in dealing with the vested interests that have clothed themselves with like the rhetoric of the left that are kind of vying for for mind space and institutional kind of position within things like the Labour Party, within kind of the broader kind of political apparatus of America and the democratic left, so to speak? Is that one of the main areas to focus on, do you think? Or is electoralism dead?
0: I don't think electoralism is dead. I just think that attempting to do it with a party that's already been through the, the ringer of neoliberalism as an ideology isn't possible
3: yeah i mean sort of the the standard uh retort that you'll get from people that um you know had historically stayed in the labour party even during new labour and will still be advocating for staying with labour now we'll be talking about um, Labour's strength as uh, you know having a, a solid route to the trade union movement and since it's very core um, but yeah there does it, it's worth reflecting in a sense that you know it that history is important it does reflect how openly right-wing Labour can be even if it's significant like heads uh, you know bigger heads and structures are obviously much more on, in line with the right-wing sort of mode of thinking than with left-wing organising. But, yeah, it's it, it's legitimate, I think, to say that, well, that that's its roots, but it's not its current existence. Well, the question then, I, I guess it's kind of, I've heard
2: two theories about how to go forward on this from people that have come up consistently. I mean, I have my own thoughts, but the, the two trends I've seen is people saying, no, we need to start investing in creating PowerL power, real power. And we need to forsake the the liberal, bourgeoisie, false democracy, which is rigged against us and is rigged on such an epic scale that we are just pissing into the wind if we attempt to fight that. Instead, we need to focus on making alternate venues and avenues of power um, and build up essentially a kind of social class awareness there, which we could then theoretically turn back on the electoral system down the line or just supplant it entirely. I've heard that approach, then I've heard the other approach that says no, clearly what we need to do is we need to fight within our parties whether it's Labour or the Democrats and we need to kind of go, you know, root and branch, take out the wreckers take out the people who are there they're there to do well rather than to do good, um, and to remake them into parties which are more obviously and more correctly of the left and I guess that that I think in a certain sense it's a false dichotomy, but just mm-hmm. engaging with it on its own terms, like is it possible, having seen what we've seen, and especially given the way that Keir Starmer, Mister Haircut, is now in charge of the Labour Party, is it possible for the left to take our party? I'm not just saying Labour in particular, but it's like the the focus here. It could be the Democrats over in America. Is it actually possible to transform them to undo what has been done to them under Tony Blair and under like Bill Clinton? Because think... I'm I'm not convinced. I don't. I'm not
0: sure no. it is. I think that, if anything that that report about Labour has kind of just totally blown that possibility out of the water. Like the the ability was there, the option was there. Um we we could have I mean, with regards to the PLP, it could have been purged, but the PLP wasn't even the problem. It was the actual infrastructure itself. It was every every wrecker within HQ that completely fucked it. And I just don't think there's any There's no good accountability. There's no good way to screen for that kind of stuff in any meaningful way that would get them all outed at the one time or anything like that. There's just no real way to do it, as far as I'm aware. Like, If we had the option and we attempted it, I don't even think it would have succeeded purely because it was fucking so baked in. And, I mean, the only way forward that I can see is just let labor die just let it go, let it fucking merge back in with the fucking Lib Dems and just, that's it. Just leave it to fucking rot and wither away and form a new party on the left. And there's no reason that you can't build parallel structures at the same time. If anything, that's the prime time to be doing that. Have the parallel structures, have the party that you can tie them to. And then, you know, unions have previously disaffiliated from Labour. I don't see the reason that they wouldn't do it again. And the only way that you're gonna get them to do that, realistically, is by having a few people in the PLP jump ship.
3: Yeah, um certainly agreeing on that last point. I think to the the overall point though, it's whether you, you know, stay and fight in Labour or do other things completely outside of it. Um it it depends not just on the characteristics of Labour, but, you know, sort of your analysis of what power actually means because i can absolutely think of very useful things both in terms of direct uh, consequence from taking positions even quite low-level positions like councillors and stuff like that in labor but not if your vision of power is simply operating a government because yeah if you if your vision of changing society and building socialism is, you know, getting a majority of MPs in the parliament and passing laws. Then you absolutely do have to, you know, make that battle inside um, Labour or, you know, really launch on the incredible project of a whole new political party to take uh, Labour out of the picture, basically. And then you're still left with the question of, well, okay, you've, You've taken the the legal forms of power through parliament, but then you know history is full of weak governments unable to pass laws, unable to form, uh, you know enforce laws, and then just falling due to you know just general public unhappiness and other political interventions. So, rather than, from my view, rather than suggesting power lies in parliament, I just think it lies more in the actual social structures outside of it and they then shape um parliament more like i was saying earlier just there's it's a reflection of not a sort of purely independent force that controls um society around it so you know like not... putting a lot of effort into taking back labor can be beneficial but it, it would be around using the positions taken in labor to actually build proper working class movements you know so um real support for unions real community spaces real working power and you know so low level stuff like councillor councils can be beneficial at that level and they ca- that can be done inside the labor party so that's fine but it's whether it's it doesn't need to be this totality of well, we've got to throw our all into getting power within Labour and then we start doing good, because I don't think that works. I think that just to go back to the
1: Parliament is a reflection of society, like, <laughs> yeah, it is,
0: but it's also not at the same time, because again, going back to what James said at the start, it's almost more like an oligarchy. And, oh yeah, well, I mean it it's a reflection of that as opposed to like it's a reflection of the the fucking
3: pretend world that we're all painted and it it's that it's perverse. It's a reflection of the distribution of the ruling classes basically. So, yeah, mm. it's separated from a lot of the needs of people, but it's not completely ignorant of that as well. So, you know, it a a strong working class movement, a strong Trade union movement would obviously still have its voices heard. Just you know, it it realised the limitations of doing that without the Labour Party, which is why it fun and formed the Labour Party. Mm.
2: Like I've been coming back to Gramsci a lot recently, just because I've been thinking about we talk about Parliament being a representation of like public will and all the rest of it, and I kind of it's a representation of the avenues of political expression. But have been provided to the public for the public to then kind of try and express what they're actually feeling through. So, to to like to give a, a really simple example, a lot of people have said that the Brexit referendum really wasn't about Britain's membership in the technocratic institution of the EU. It was really about this kind of larger narrative around class disparity and neglect, and around elites versus the country that's kind of been abandoned. And you know, for a lot of people who are voting in that. They were trying to use it to express something other than it was actually, you know, there supposedly to do. And so Mm -hmm. when we kind of talk about the parliament as expressing kind of popular sentiment, we come back like, you know, one of the things that gives people pause about starting a new party under first past the post is there's a huge cultural narrative and then an actual technical underpinning that makes it really fucking hard to get a party off the ground under that system. Um, because votes for it do not count anywhere near as much. And people are are taught, essentially, this. They're taught that, well, nope, it doesn't matter unless you vote for one of the big two. It's a wasted vote. And um, even the Lib Dems, who are seen as, like, the third party of, of British politics. Oh, okay, maybe the SNP are factoring in these days. Like, they have had to fight uphill, and they still routinely get beaten over the head by it. And they still use that rhetoric at the local level with their you know dodgy graphs and can't win here kind of stuff going on mm. and so it's like it yes one of the things that kind of that gives me pause this is like okay you set up a new party but then what you're really doing is you're fight you're, you're taking on an additional battle or rather you're you're changing the terms of it like you're you no longer are you having to fight against wreckers necessarily inside the party Though well, i'm not convinced on that by the way um because you know they have a habit of appearing everywhere not only are you kinda you're dodging that, but you're now taking on a new thing, which is you're taking on the media apparatus and the public narrative that says small parties don't matter and you're trying to build from there. And without like even well, even with high profile defections, like as happened with uh, you know, the, the tiggers, um, that's there's no guarantee you're gonna get anything off the ground whatsoever. Mm. So like my my thinking on this comes around to the idea of is the Labour Party or the Democratic Party, or any party of the left that exists, because I'm not even a Labour person, right? Is it worth fighting for these purely because of their position within that discourse to act as vehicles of political expression? Um, Or is it better abandoning it to try and do this kind of, you know, parallel power and new party kind of thing?
4: I don't know, but I do think you're going to get a Christmas card from Mike Gapes for calling him high profile.
2: <laughs> uh, not a man of substance, but a man of newspaper reports. Mm. Maybe not oh, cards, I mean...
3: but a gift card to Nando's or something at least. <laughs> a
0: bottle of milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I I genuinely think it's worth it, and not not purely for the... This isn't this isn't just for ideological purity or anything like that, although it does factor in, like I have said before, the broad church is too fucking broad, narrow the bastard. Like we, we can't have people sitting in the centre or on a in a party of the left. It just it just doesn't function. You need to bring these people round and if they can't be brought round, then fuck off. Go vote for the Lib Dems. Mm. Like, go vote for Keir Starmer's Rump Labour Party, whatever it is. I mean I think like I don't know what this this isn't maybe like I don't know if we can generalise this. Labour as it stands, I think could split and do much better than fucking Cuptig ever did. Purely off the back of the fact that there's an entire section of the part there's thirty-nine MPs in the socialist campaign group who are exactly the ones that we would want to split off. There's unions who I mean Len McCluskey's already fucking had a bit of a oath kinda of moment against this Labour report. He's the biggest union is it that he's got, like, and he's he's kind of threw his fucking wallet on the table in front of Keir Starmer and went, "You need to you need to sort this stuff out." And he's disaffiliated before, like, there's no reason that he wouldn't. And again, there's no reason that the trade union movement might not actually go well. This could work. Nothing stopping them. I think there's enough there's enough moving parts that could make it work as opposed to fucking Mike Gapes and Chris Leslie pulling all their fucking tenants' money together so that they can afford to set up a new party. Like, it's it's a different thing.
4: Before we move on from what James said before there about um, people voting in the referendum were, mm. were really voting about, you know, the dis- displeasure with the status quo, I think there's an argument to be made that that same phenomenon is what propelled the Lib Dems to their, like, highest number of seats ever, I think it mm. was, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And and then, obviously, Nick Clegg fucked it. Like, he's fucked every single thing he's ever done in his life. But I think, uh, you know, they did so well because the, the people were just dissatisfied with the two main parties and wanted to to protest against the status quo, which is, you know, you see it there, you see it with Brexit, um, you see it in America with Trump, and it's just, it's a lesson that um, centrists just cannot learn. Like, they're physically incapable of recognizing like a, a, a protest vote for what it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going into going into the US election this year, if it happens, um, we're obviously gonna see Biden, the great white centrist hope, against Trump and he's gonna get fucking destroyed. He's gonna get like bombed from the air at every available opportunity, and he's gonna get like fucking less votes than than like Clinton did and and they're just gonna be they're gonna blame it all on the left for not like holding their nose. Don't, can I just I mean?
0: take this opportunity to just get this recorded right now? The candidate for the Democrats in twenty twenty will be Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just be. I just want that there now people can call me out on it later. But I'm confident Like I'll I'll okay
2: David, I'll make you a bet. If it right. is Hillary Clinton I will not just buy you a drink, I will spend the entire night getting you absolutely shit-faced <laughs> without you having to spend a penny, right? I should, like No top-shelf stuff, but like if that, if that is the case, if Hillary Clinton is, is the, the candidate, I am prepared to put my money where my mouth is, she absolutely will not be. But if she is, then I will help you drown your sorrows and you know reward you for being so absolutely right. This is the
0: sort of I mean, side bet that's suddenly making
3: me really interested in the election again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there won't be any sorrows because what I'm going to get to do, really, the, the true reward of this is getting to watch Hillary Clinton lose again <laughs> and have a complete fucking meltdown about it. That will be rewarded itself enough, but I will happily take your bet.
2: Okay. Well, there's got to be a, there's got to be a contrast to it. What if she isn't, David? What are you going to do? <sighs> I mean...
0: What what could I do? What could I do?
4: Do an entire podcast without fucking vaping? <laughs> oh yes, right. Done. Done. Yes. Right. Fine.
0: Fine. I'll do it. I'll do
2: and,
1: it. And
2: and no nicotine patches on your arm. No bullshit. <laughs> like n- none of this. Like getting around it. If Hillary Clinton isn't the nominee, we get to pick an episode. Jamie gets to pick the topic. Right. I'm and you have to do it without vaping, without taking any nicotine for the entire thing. Oh. Yeah. We'll have to set up a webcam
3: Wait. and uh, just... You, you're shirtless <laughs> so there's nowhere to hide the patches. <laughs> like, we we start at the beginning and he's, like, kind of calm and measured because he's just
2: taking an, an almost overdose of nicotine. But as he gets towards the end, he looks like he's been on meth for, like, a week with all the like, little bits out of skin and stuff. It's <laughs> gonna be an itchy hour!
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Except it won't be because Hillary Clinton will be the nominee. Right, and I will okay. be shit-faced. <laughs>
2: so David's either going hardcore nicotine
4: withdrawal or he's getting alcohol poisoning that's great I, think I can live with this by the end of that by the end of that episode he's just got the bottle out of his vape and just swigging it like that Bosnian guy
3: <laughs> No, you're thinking
4: too little he's got Didn't the bottle out set any rules about hypo- that
3: James
2: <laughs> I've seen he's got like the bottle out he's put a hypodermic on it and he's just jabbing it right into his
0: heart fucking <laughs> pop fiction style oh, uh, that's it. I'll have a
3: spoon and a lighter standing by yeah <laughs> fuck yeah where where were we okay oh hang on i was (laughs) gonna say something about this um go on oh yes yeah just just in terms of the whole protest vote and difficulty of you know doing your own thing like we do have to acknowledge the existence of left unity (laughs) anyone remember that anyone know anything about that now do you mean it
2: as the political party movement that was briefly emblazoned in the public consciousness, I wasn't. Or do you mean the concept of left unity as a thing that well doesn't exist?
3: Oh, the first one, yeah the the, the attempt at uh, having a a, a left wing party again. Like, was that a George Galloway joint? No, <laughs> no, not specifically. Um, might well have been a member, but I don't think it certainly wasn't his sort of bandwagon. It was everyone's bandwagon, briefly, um, and that that was half the problem. But anyway, there there were there were enough sort of you know low level elections where a, a group trying to pick itself up actually you know get some electoral chops and stuff. They they probably could have made a bit of a go of it, um, but they just totally fluffed it. And so, I guess depending on how you envision uh things moving on from now. Obviously, I, I guess that any, any real um chance of you know having a, a new left-wing party would probably be coming from a lot of um defections from the momentum uh group or if not actually some MPs as well. So that would perhaps put them off to a much better footing than left unity. But yeah, like goddamn if you're if you're trying to take an electoral route I would probably still recommend sticking with labor to be honest just because like you were saying James that, that this is all you know the particular battlefronts you're trying to pick and yeah sort of the the adversarial um internal factionalism of labor is unlikely to be much worse than the sheer um you know smothering effect of um total lack of media coverage and no No real tools to work Ah, with. Oh shit, shit! I've just, I've,
2: I've had it. Sorry, Seb. I, 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 I've figured it out. I've got the solution. I've got the thing that will crack the whole thing wide open. Right. What we need to do is, sure, we can make our own party, but we need to get more media coverage. So we start a newspaper. (laughs) We turn up to to left rallies with our newspaper, right? Oh my god, (laughs) you are right. (laughs) Why did nobody think of this before? Never been tried, clearly.
0: Yeah. There needs to be some sort of like incentive though for people to join. What about what about Jazz? <laughs> uh
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. Well, okay. Let's say for the sake of argument that we've convinced ourselves that okay, it's it's a case of recapturing these parties which supposedly have some kind of left bona fides in their history, though they've now lost them, right? Um how then would you do you go about dislodging the networks of power and patronage that have taken root within these groups and that make the the status quo what it is for them like how do you do something like get rid of say labor staffers who allegedly are um you know diametrically opposed to any kind of social progress How do you deal with people like in Bernie's campaign, people who seemed like they were quite left, got hired by him and then sunk all the campaign resources into giving just a good enough showing to give him a stepping stone
3: to get hired elsewhere, allegedly? Like, how do you contend with this? Well, shit, Um, if I had a good answer for that, I would be very high up in the Labour Party. (laughs) Hire based only on the output of your Twitter account.
2: I feel like that's discriminatory against Peter Dow. No, oh, Chemon Dow's got some great Twitter content these days. All is forgiven. Aye, but can you imagine the struggle session going back over his old Twitter though? Yeah, true. He was like David. He thought he thought Hillary was was all in. She, she would
3: be the shining good on the hill. Mm. I mean, I resent that. I think he seems like well, he he had a, obviously a very unique, um, probably pretty hard upbringing, and. Yeah, I, I don't even recall how he made it up to where he was in American political society. But yeah, I mean, I I, I like the journey that he seems to be going on. Basically,
2: <laughs> well, if Peter Dow can call Bernie, there's hope for anyone yet. Yeah, but more, no, more realistically, like this is the crux of the issue, though. Because we talk about, okay, logically it makes sense. Like the, the probably the easiest path is to retake the Labour Party, retake the Democratic Party, whatever your left vehicle that has been hollowed out by neoliberalism is. A lot of people say this, right? I'm skeptical of it. It's the reason I'm in the Scottish Greens. Um I I think like trying to take Scottish Labour from the, the sort of centre right is and you know it's like pouring water into a cup with a hole in the bottom no matter how much you pour in eventually it's going to empty out you know so with those kind of pragmatic realities i'm honestly more convinced by the idea that you could maybe splinter off a left vehicle if you had the existing power and patronage from the unions prepared to get behind it along with a lot of existing mps potentially but assuming that's that's not viable how do you go about root and branch reforming these parties like what are the pressures you can bring to bear how do you contend with the legal structures that have been written and put in place and are enforced by the rightward kind of wreckers of the party
4: show trials (laughs)
2: like okay for the sake of argument you joke that, we but that's, that is like a thing about you know parallel power right you you go away you build social movements you build these kind of structures of power which can then bring uh, bring outward pressure on these institutions at, to the point where you don't really need to bother with labor you've got enough power in the streets that you know theoretically right i'm not mm. convinced that's viable either and i guess i guess this is a thing everything i look at in terms of the the common narratives on what to do next, they all seem like they massive uphill battles without any kind of idea, without any kind of strategy behind them, essentially. Like, okay, we should retake the Labour Party. Great. What's our first move? Oh, we shouldn't bother with the Labour Party. Okay, we should found a party of our own and start building towards electoral success. Okay, what is our strategy? What's our first move for getting a a presence in the
3: national psyche? Hmm. I mean... To be fair, though, nobody has a decent answer to that question because nobody's doing anything that's recognised as being that solution. Um, And so everything is, yeah, just a seemingly uphill struggle again, irritatingly. Um, Practically. Well, yeah. (laughs) Practically, what you need to do, if
0: if it's going to be the retake labour route, the first thing that has to happen is that the left has to maintain control of the NEC. Mm. that's looking unlikely because momentum is doing weird factional power grabby bullshit within itself just now might end up splitting it with two separate momentum slates could completely fuck the vote Um, and that's that's also dependent on how many people are still in labour like now compared to then I mean I've left
2: Mm. I mean from an outside perspective looking in on that shit show I was like, oh, I guess the left project is dead in Labour the second it seemed like Keir Starmer was going to be the you know, the candidate. And it didn't help that I, I knew people in Labour who were saying, I've not had my ballot, I'm on the left, I've not had my ballot, I've written multiple times, I'm mm-hmm. just not getting anything back. Because the conspiratorially minded person in me wondered if that was a bit of voter suppression going on to make sure Keir, Stamber, S- Keir Starmer, Mr. Haircut would be the, uh, you know, the candidate. It seems like the left has conceded, essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that a lot of people who have been on the left and were prepared to vote for Starmer as some sort of, well, maybe we were too far left, um, itself says enough that the left, I mean, part of the left melted. I mean, that's, that's undeniable. Yeah, I mean, a, fa- of a
3: failure of Corbynism to establish itself as in control of the party uh significantly is just due to the lack of political education that it gave to its membership you know like Mm. sure okay there'll always be tons and tons of paper members that won't pay attention and won't come to the clp meetings etc but the it should be a political party's main political point to be educating its membership in in its ideology basically that's you know you want people to be saying I'm a member of my left wing party because we are you know fighting for clause 4 or whatever modern updates of it around taking the product of our labor for its full value blah 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 and therefore and you know being able to lay out the pretty you know not super high level theoretical stuff but just the the basic moral principles and some of the ideas behind socialism And I would be surprised if most of the Labour Party can really do that now. And that's a huge failing. So would it
2: then be an argument that before you can do things like retake the party, you need to create the critical mass of people with the correct perspective, if you will, on events to be able to vote accordingly? Like you need to actually have this kind of ideological cohort um, or this cultural kind of movement that is able to
3: engage with these politics and see them as they are. I mean, I'm a materialist, not an idealist. So it's not enough just to say, oh, we're going to hold education sessions. It does need to be, you know, periods of struggle um, in terms of like organized labor to um, give people that actual sense of what, uh, you know, a meaningful organization built around solidarity means and does. And then what that feels like to win. But so that's, okay. you know, very much of outside the party kind of organizing. Um so, and then that feeds so back into view, any, sorry.
2: Are you are you of the view then that that perhaps the best way to do this is to try and do uh, intensive lab, labour organizing as a vehicle for giving people both a, a practical and a theoretical grounding in the principles that underlie like a labour movement.
3: Oh yeah, that's definitely my preferred perspective. Um and yeah like i mean i haven't joined the labor party um i went out campaigning last election for them and you know it was obviously pretty positive whenever anyone engaged me in conversation about what i thought of corbyn um but yeah like like i've been saying pretty much from the start of this it's it's you know power exists outside of parliament it's in the material components of society and uh, there there is obviously an element of benefit from holding having a large electoral party and uh, having left wingers in control of that and in various positions of it but it's only an element of the wider struggle and so not losing sight of that and becoming obsessed with taking back labor at the cost of yeah labor organizing community organizing around you know specific left-wing demands and uh you know, sort of getting the working class aware of its own power to emancipate itself directly if necessary. That's always the key thing. And everything else is just a strategic discussion.
2: Well, see, that's a thing, Paul, because I agree with you. Um, My concern is about how do... What is the strategic part of this? Um, because it's all good and well to say, well, we need to do kind of um, labor organizing activities as a vehicle for fermenting class consciousness. And I have some additional thoughts on this, which are very Gramscian and I won't bore everyone with, but what then, you, you said yourself, that can't be the only thing. It's just that the other things can't take precedence over it. But then what, what are the other things? Where do you put that focus? And I don't know, I feel if we seem like we're going around in circles a little bit tonight, I, I guess it's because everything does seem a bit
3: darker right now? but Yeah, I mean, the answer to that is being able to try things and then seeing what works. You know, this is not a problem that you can theorise your way out of. You can only develop strategies, implement them, and then honestly re- reflect on their result, like we're now doing with Corbynism, for instance. So we can see what happened We can see the effects of that, the ups and downs and, you know, where it fell down, what it didn't do right. And, you know, if the left does get to reclaim a a prominent position within Labour, then it won't make the same mistakes. It will hopefully have a more strategic approach to, um, you know, taking and holding power. And that's fine. Um, But it also exposes the limitations of doing things just purely within the, the Labour Party. And that's something to take away from as well and yeah obviously not really being able to assemble in any significant numbers is hugely detrimental to organizing mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily restraining education planning going on and yeah that's perhaps what needs to be done well as well as the actual you know sort of uh, building various you know mutual aid groups and other organizations and things like that that will exist in there thereafter i mean I think... Sort of, uh, Sorry, uh, one sec. Sort of a specific example of this in Bristol, like the National Food Service had uh, just launched itself in the last couple of months and in like three weeks has managed to actually sort of organize and produce over like a thousand meals for people. And that's not going to go away when the situation uh, becomes less, you know, uh, lockdowny. That'll be something that people can genuinely relate to, generally work around. And, um, yeah, it's got, you know, Labour friendly slash socialist friendly type politics to it. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's and that's exactly what needs to be happening. Yeah. Um, But only is one part of it. Like, it would be really easy for the uncontested party of the left, the Labour Party. To swan in and say, "Oh, this is a great idea! Fantastic! More people should do this," and then and then do fuck all. Then actually, you know, in reality, do nothing to alleviate the fact that that right there is a demonstration of the failure of government. Um, they'll just say, "Oh, that's great," because that's starmerism to a fucking T. Um,
3: definite risk, yeah,
0: yeah. But going back to the whole, I mean, trying things. I, I just we do need to try things, but I think. Realistically, the thing we need to try is a new party, just purely off the back of the fact that, I mean, if I think back to my time going to CLP meetings, if anybody attempted to stand up and describe what socialism is, they'd be fucking booed, like it. The CLP, especially, I mean, obviously I'm talking about Scotland here. The CLPs are a fucking nightmare by and large. um Like it's it's blairite. I I I once get censured for calling someone right not even someone in the room a fucking mp um like it's a joke someone actually fucking leapt up to this person who wasn't even in the room's defense over it It was a fucking shambles the guy was younger than me as well the guy was in his fucking 20s had done it (sighs) anyway sorry I'm, i'm reliving horrible memories that i'm trying to fucking box away but my point is that there's so many levels of Difficult that you need to break through. You need to be able to break through the CLP. Is the CLP left controlled? Is it not? Well, can you do that? Do you have the actual people there to force that change? When will you be able to force that change? How long do you need to wait for the next election? The AGM might have been just last week, so you've got to wait an entire year to get that set up. Whereas right now we could be moving things towards a new party. Right now a new option could actually be getting set up and. All it's going to do, realistically, is split the Labour vote. Ideally, it splits it to the point of fucking irrelevance and the party personifies and it's gone and we don't need to care about it anymore. Or it ends up being a busted flush, but at the end of the day, if <laughs> practically, if the NEC isn't held by the left, any chance of the left ever getting fucking elected again is gone because we're not the only ones capable of learning from mistakes. The right is absolutely capable of that as well. And I guarantee you that the Labour Party, if the left does not hold the NEC after the next election, will never allow for someone like Jeremy Corbyn to become leader again.
2: If I were to summarise my takeaways from this conversation, um, it's that essentially the root praxis we should be kind of engaging in is support uh, organised labour movement at whatever capacity mm-hmm. we can individually. If we're in a position to organize, we should organize. If we're in a position to support organizers, we should be supporting organizers. Um, and support can take the form of material donations. It can take the form of actual doing organizational work. Or it can take the form of, if push comes to shove and there's nothing else you can do, then education, uh, You know, ideological, philosophical kind of education on the theories and ideas and concepts and necessities that underlie labor organization. Uh, that should be the root. But if I'm hearing this, beyond that, what we're really left doing is looking for opportunities as they present themselves and seizing upon them. And in the absence of obvious opportunities, trying what individually we can seems like to, you know, th- that we feel can make some kind of progress, even if it turns out to be busted. We've got to try and roll that stone uphill, whatever stone we find, um, in the hope that one of these maybe turns out to actually get some momentum behind it. No pun intended. And and becomes like a vehicle that we can use. Yeah. Whether whether someone goes no, I've got a plan to retake the Labour Party, and they turn out to be correct, or someone else goes no, I've got a plan to start a new political party, and may turn out to have a strategy that works, or someone else goes no, I've got a plan to start an armed militia, and well, okay, maybe not that one, but y- you get the idea. And to me, if we're if we're saying this, if we're saying this is our position right now, then we do need a kind of left solidarity. And no, I don't I don't mean a political party. I mean we actually do need to have a kind of position whereby we accept that no one has a clue on the left right now. And so mm. we have to we have to be very forgiving towards each of us going off in our own directions on this. Um, and we have to try and, and rebuild a sense of left community that isn't just stuck in tribal political motions of expression like any one political party. Does that seem like a reasonable summary of kind of where we're at thinking about this? Or? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: Realistically, right, I mean, regardless of whether or not you're hell-bent on a new party or hell-bent on reclaiming labour for the left the initial stages of either of them aren't actually going to take place within either of those two things they're going to take place in parallel structures just like the National Food Service, like any sort of fucking support group where people of like-minded ideal come together or people who maybe just think it's a nice thing, and don't know that much, and maybe they can pick up a little bit of the general theory. You know, while they're doing it, from people who are better versed in it. It's the political party doesn't have to come first, be it Labour or the new party. It's going to come from these kind of places. It's going to come from the grassroots. Any correct socialist um, party organisation is is always going to be built from the ground up. It's never going to be built top down. Um, and it's it's going to have to come from those I mean I, I know I'm sitting here advocating for a new party to be formed off the back of currently but MPs fucking off to make a new party and that does seem a bit top down but at the end of the day that change has to come from the public, it's got to come from people demanding something new and something better um, if they just artificially fucked off and went oh we're not playing a game anymore, it would be a bit sus but if there's enough people clamouring for it, if there's enough people shouting that needs to happen, if the unions are saying this needs to happen, then
3: I'm all for it at that point. But yeah, That's because it's going to come from below, not above. MPs leaving Labour because MPs want to leave Labour uh, gives you the Change UK experience. So yes. they're very, very unwilling to do that unless they are uh, constantly massaged by the press into thinking they themselves as individuals are incredible and you know are worth their um 20,000 votes or whatever it was they got in their seat, rather than uh, the the labor badge and the labor support so yeah like it, we we agree in that sense that um yeah the the next step is not being significantly um weighted towards the labor party absolutely um I mean, in fact, yeah. I mean, that's that's basically just my position. Like I I said, I haven't joined the Labour Party for um, reasons around you know my my perspective on electoral politics and the conclusion of it. But yeah, like you were saying, James, like it's a very bad time for sectarianism about those that are attempting to do their own thing. I mean, I'd caution against just everyone doing whatever they like, um, just to give it a try. There does need to be some theoretical and strategic considerations as to whether it's a good idea or not. But
2: But at this point, since no one has a really convincing argument or no one has a good idea, then I guess we kinda need to be in that position of trusting each of us to try how we can. But keep our minds open. And like if it ends up like David's approach is a busted flush, mine is a bastard flush, Jamie's is a busted flush, and it turns out you've got the right one, Seb, then we need to be prepared to recognise that when the time comes and to pile in behind it.
0: I would love to rejoin the Labour Party. <laughs> I would fucking love it, but it's going to take a lot for me to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as much as I'm, I know I'm. I'm probably going to be one of the most outspoken ones on the pod for quite a while about this. Um, but I, 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 I desperately desperately want Labour to posocify and die and be retired to the ashes as a failed project of neoliberalism because at the moment that's all I can see it being. But if it turns out not to be fucking great because the material benefits of that will outweigh any sort of personal feelings I've got to it the material benefits of fucking socialism would... I don't care about the fucking party's history at that point like if I'm going to get the socialism that I think we need then Soviet.
3: Oh yeah, like I mean, uh, I, as I said, it, um I didn't. Yeah, I'm not a Labour Party member, but I would have been ecstatic to have been wrong if they had actually, you know, managed to form the government either last year mm. or 2017 and put in an absolute gangbusters role of uh, reformation's around all elements of society. Then that would be brilliant, you know, because it is, it's, it's a, it's a bad space for egos, essentially. Um yeah. yeah. The most effective political movements are those that <clears throat> people then, you know, feel capable of joining, even if they uh had followed a different trend for a well for a long period of time, even potentially. Um but yeah, like it's a bit, bit of a bugger. I mean, um I guess part of the problem with just advocating everyone do everything is that it does inherently have a directionlessness to it and maybe even a sense of despair. Because suddenly you're you're not even particularly confident anymore. But it doesn't need to be thought of like that, you know. The if you've got a similar theoretical grounding and you're you're literally just arguing difference of strategic approach, then of course it needs to be taken out into the real world because it's not something that can be discussed through at that point. You just do genuinely need to agree to see which works, and then. Uh, hopefully graciously bow to uh, whatever was the clearly superior strategy yeah yeah no totally mm.
0: like I, I i look forward to the day where we can do proper left factionalism
1: again
3: <laughs> yeah that'd be nice one one big internal argument about um how to build socialism would be wonderful
0: that's it, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, like the proper factionalism stuff, like the screaming matches over <laughs> inconsequential things that happened in the early Soviet Union, like that type of shit. Uh, right. yeah.
3: yeah, no, yeah, okay.
0: like totally inconsequential. It doesn't fucking matter. It's just, it's the dumb stuff. It's, it's the stuff that just doesn't matter because what we are, we have got that kind of. I, I, I don't like to say left unity now, but yeah, we have got that element mm. back with us. And I think a large part of that, lacking in the the immediate absence of Corbyn from Labour,
1: um, well, from the leadership at least. um,
3: Where was I going with this? I don't know. I'm not sure myself. Um, I mean, a lack of clear leadership, like suddenly losing the... yeah, leadership of the Labour Party obviously opens up a large ideological space as well as a mm. you know actual physical space for who is the leader, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's worrying, well, obviously.
0: Well, but sorry, yes, yeah, so that's that's where my point was. Sorry, yeah, the, the lack of leadership, the, the fact that there was a, a large element, like an, an almost universal element within the Labour Party of unity under Corbyn, like the left at least were aligned mm. with it. We were all on board. I mean, I, I again, I was looking forward to protesting against the Jeremy Corbyn
3: government. <laughs> Same, but like it would have been nice. <laughs> the though, whole yeah. point,
0: yeah, the whole point was to just get the f- the first fucking toe in the water. That's all it was. Like it was never going to be the solution to everything. It was going to be okay. Now what? Mm. But since since we don't have that leadership in place anymore, there's a. Yeah, there's an ideological vacuum, and now we're all starting to say, "Well, I think this, and I think that," and well, oh, don't agree there, and it's doing that thing where the left blinds itself to the enemy out with because it creates the enemy within.
4: See, you say ideological vacuum, but his name's Sakia <laughs> A <laughs> oh, Damn. Yeah.
3: Oh fuck. Nice. Uh, this, this is getting on a bit. Should we maybe uh wrap it up? Yuff, I'd fucking love to wrap this issue
0: up. but I don't think we're going to achieve that. Um,
3: Memor the episode. Yeah, I, though,
0: mean, yeah. I, think, anybody-
2: uh, I think I've got a good closing thought. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we learn, Palmer? Uh, damned if I know what we learned. Well, I guess we learned not to do it again. Damned if I know what it was we did. No? No one? No. Burn after
0: reading. Oh, of course. I've not seen that film in years. I know what I'm watching tonight then.
2: For real. I still don't know what it is. Oh, uh, okay. Cohen Brothers film. Burn after it right. Cut this whole section. Never mind. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, oh no, I get it now. Yes, I have seen that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a bit where the CIA director's talking to his flunky about what the fuck just happened and the consensus is they don't know what happened. They don't know how to avoid it in the future. They've got no fucking idea. Just fuck.
0: Yeah.
3: Fuck it. But don't worry, guys, because oh. there are enemies, so that's good. <laughs> I think, so what... Sorry for ruining lesson... your positive thought there, James. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the lesson of this episode, if we can call it an episode, is
3: be kind online. Uh, well, let's not get too far. We want Jamie to still be part of the podcast, after all. <laughs>
1: well, I'm, no. I'm
3: le-
4: never anything but polite online. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, like, I mean... It,
1: the,
0: the, the takeaway here really is left, left unity. Um, again, the, the the concept, not the party. Um, we've we've got to have that. There is an ideological vacuum, and mm. like everyone is kind of vying to fill that space at the moment. But realistically, we did it without struggle because there was a figurehead. Surely, we should be able to do it without one.
2: I guess then, if podcasting is praxis for praxis, the thing that we all we're left with after all of us is mm. solidarity.
0: Effectively, yeah.
3: Yeah, there we go.
0: Who'd have thought there'd be one handy word to sum that up,
3: eh? <laughs> yeah. <But> that <laughs> took a long time to get around to it.
0: <laughs> if only I thought of it at the start, yeah. Oh. Right, yeah, so I think we'll we'll call it there for this week. Um and we'll be back again soon with an unknown episode.
2: Actually, uh I do know I do know what our next episode's gonna be on. Um Alice from Trash Future is gonna be joining us. Um she wants to talk about the strange ways in which the hygiene practices that are dictated by sharia law are strangely effective and appropriate to the coronavirus pandemic so that'll be interesting
3: hmm. sounds good yep yep look forward to that all right and we'll see you then yep all right Yep. thanks everybody for Do listening you. um yeah follow us at praxis cast on twitter and uh yeah ah oh, fuck that it's in, the,
0: it's in the show notes just say bye oh,
3: okay Bye-bye. Bye, bye bye Bye.